everybody, and welcome to the Penalty Loop Podcast, a podcast about biathlon by Jordan Gottschalk from Penalty Loop and RJ Weiss from Biathlon Analytics. Hey, Jordan, how are you doing? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm hanging in there, uh, still congested and coughing away. Yeah, still not uh, completely over it, eh? No, no, no. So. All right. Well, we'll keep it short here. Uh, I hope that everybody uh, enjoyed our first part of the interview with Jules Bernat from the Canadian men's biathlon team. And uh, without further ado, here's uh, part two of that interview. Yodley. Through the eyes of. Sure. I was actually going to ask about the, uh, what is, I, so I was just, during the break, I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw that uh, on the on the Canadian biathlon Instagram uh, site, there's, they're talking about something called uh, was it testable? Yeah. So what what is going on there? Game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are they just, are they, is it just like sort of a, a midsummer just training camp? What's going on? So testable is for tests and festival. Mm. So it's the festival of the tests we do. And it's been the same yeah. tests for years. Uh, so it's fun to have the, there are for sure some shooting tests and mm. some uh, skiing and running tests. So we're going to do something very similar here out east. We're mm. going to have the 3K run. Uh, we're going to have an uphill skate or uphill double pull. I don't remember exactly the tests. Um, and we will then have a big comparison between all the athletes from Canada. So there's a summer mm. festival and a fall festival. So we do it twice a year. And there's also, yeah, the shooting test. So we do the 600 uh, precision test. And there's also some more a bit of a skill uh, speed drill in shooting. Mm-hmm. And so they do a big, uh, yeah, they, they bring all the results together. And there's a score for all that. And there's the testable winner for men, woman, junior, all that. There's no like funding or spots for any races that are linked to that. It's just a very fun event to have in the summer uh to to get back in a bit of a competition mindset just once uh for the full week so people focus on that not necessarily like people are not peaking for it people are not looking for uh, yeah. high performances but it's i think it's very fun to have and it's also a good yeah. tracker for uh coaches a good tracker if they ever end up in a situation they have to to choose between some athletes at trials uh, they might use it, but that's not the goal necessarily of a festival. It's just it's most, yeah, it's very a festival of testing for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sounds like fun. Yeah, so they do it right now in the, in Canmore. I think ours is going to be next week. I'm not doing it as uh, as much as the, the younger athletes. I'm going to focus more on my training because we have uh, the racing in, the, in Norway in August. So that's going to mm-hmm. be my yep. main focus. And um, also as I'm uh, working more with the, the ski training center here, we'll have to see what we, what we want to do with that. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a very fun event. Are you going to the summer world championships for biathlon? No. This year? No, no, no. That's going to be no. in, uh, in Rupolding. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very interesting that they have such a, such a loaded summer calendar for racing. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. It's just too bad we're not in Europe. It's, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Maybe if I would be racing for Netherlands, I could. 
<laughs> there you go. Maybe you could do like a, a split duality or a nationality for the summer and winter. <laughs> yeah. No, won't won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one of our uh, more standard questions is uh, if if you weren't in biathlon, what sport would you do? And and you already alluded to the uh, cross country running. So we're going to be mean and say that that's not an option. <laughs> uh, if it wasn't cross country, uh, well, if it wasn't uh, cross country or biathlon, I would just be doing outdoors. I wouldn't be uh, competing. I don't think I would have competed for okay. sure in a, in a different sport. I've been I've been doing many things, but I would not have uh, kept going as much as I've done in biathlon if it wasn't the opportunity of a, of a career and all that. Um, okay. I would have probably gone for more uh, recreational sport, uh, hmm. recreational activities. I like windsurfing a lot. I don't have as much time as oh. I would like to do it. Yeah. Uh, so that would probably be a thing. Uh, yeah, just just cross-country skiing, not competitive, but just going in the wood a bit like Nordic uh, skiing, mm -hmm. we call it. Not necessarily backcountry, but I don't know. I would for sure be an outdoor guy. And uh, yeah. I would have probably gone another way than uh, than sport. Could it be school? Could it be academics? Could it be music? Whatever. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I would for sure need something as intense as intense as a competitive sport is. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't really know why where. Yeah. When you go windsurfing, where do you go? Uh, Bay de Beauport. So just here in Quebec City, I can go okay. with my bike. I've been able no. to build a, uh, yeah. a a little trailer for my bike, and I can put the windsurf mm -hmm. on. I can actually put two windsurfs and uh, uh, a canoe and a kayak and all that. So it's uh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty convenient. I used to have one when I was young. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's when the surfboards were still uh, four meters long and and yeah. uh, and heavy. But yeah, a little cart behind well, the bike. That's, and... that's what I've been. That's what I've been able to buy. A very heavy, oh, yeah. long windsurf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I meant I meant to ask this earlier, but how much running do you do now as a as a part of your regular training? Um, uh, I don't know. It depends on the week, but maybe 30, 35 k a, a week. Would that make okay. sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a very important part of my training. I'd say we do classic skiing, skate skiing, uh, running, and I do biking every once in a while, but those are really the three biggest elements yeah. we do is uh, really uh, skate classic and running. Yeah. Can you, uh, think of a combination of two sports that in any way compares to biathlon? Not really. I mean, we yeah. could we could say like running and uh, arrow shooting, but that would just be the yeah. same. I yeah. don't think there's many sport that can uh, that can get any close to what biathlon is. Such mm -hmm. a big clash between the two events. There's in track and field, they have those mix events of, uh, uh, but it's all it's all about strength and speed. Uh, mm -hmm. They have the uh, modern pentathlon that's yes. mixing them, yeah. like many different things. It also used to be the same federation as the IBU, but again, it's in different events, right? It's mm -hmm. not, they don't do it all together. There's triathlon. It's again, 
So nothing really compares, I'd say, to biathlon where you do something very intense, very hard, very physical, and then you have to switch mm-hmm. and very quickly do a task that needs a lot of uh, precision, a lot of um, lot of calm and all that. So you have such a big mindset uh, switch. Maybe, yeah, maybe I would compare it to any... Um, any just team sport like hockey or baseball or uh, well no no not baseball but uh, like basketball <laughs> where you have to uh, to move very quickly to get to the right place at the right moment and then you just have to very quickly make the right decision very mm-hmm. be very like have a high precision with yeah for sure a bit of strength but if you think about basketball you don't have to be strong to to have the ball in the middle mm-hmm. of the net you just have to be able to focus to shoot it there even though the environment is not favorable at all to, to do that task, <laughs> yeah. right? So I'd say that's, that's maybe the closest we could get with uh, with biathlon. Of course, the skiing part is not the same as just moving around in the basketball course. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think that's what makes it uh, so fun to to do, but also so fun to watch for everyone. It, it opens the door to more of a, a stadium uh, a stadium vibe where everything happens there like you send people skiing and then they come back and they and they shoot and everything happens there you don't have to know about the race that much there's always going to be someone showing up and shooting at targets and hitting and missing uh you never know when they're going to hit never know when they're going to miss you can guess a bit but it's always a surprise until the last shot uh just i'd say the same as any team sport where there's a a net and so mm-hmm. that's it. That's the, the best comparison I, I could make. Yeah. And, and you're yeah, talking like about a stadium. Um, I know that uh, Emma and was it Christian who did the uh, Auf Schalke race? Yeah. Is that something you'd be interested in? Uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. I think, be, uh, I, I think it would be cool even for a World Cup to, uh, yeah. to have this oh, stadium full of, uh, of yeah. full with crowd to watch shooting and then. Have some big yeah. screen where you can follow the skiing. Oh, for sure. There's a uh, well. That's that's a bit, that's a bit the same as the single mixed relay that we have mm. in the yeah. in the World Cup. Uh, relays mm. uh, sprints are pursuit. I'd say are very fun to race and masters as well. There's just so much movement, so much people passing each other. Uh, I'd say mm-hmm. those are very fun events. Uh, but yeah, that special thing Emma and Christian did. I don't. I don't yeah. think it's ever gonna happen to me to be invited to that. Uh, but for sure, it must be pleasant to uh, to do that extra mm-hmm. racing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of shooting. <laughs> yeah. Um. So if uh, uh, if Prime Minister Trudeau came up to you and said, "Hey, you've been a bad Canadian. We're taking away your passport, um, and you have to go race for another country. Where Where would you?" Uh, where would you want to? What team would you want to join? Uh, I'd for sure team uh, team Belgium. Uh, there's a team, and I have the I have the paperwork. If we have to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's but, cheating. Uh, you got to go somewhere else. Oh, somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if if it was if it wasn't that I'd, I'd just stop, and I I'd be fine with it. <laughs> um, uh, and I would for sure tell uh, tell that the. Uh, Mr. Uh, taking my passport away that uh, <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, no, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I don't think I've, well, maybe now I would be able to qualify on other teams, but uh, yeah, it's really, if that would happen to me, I'd, if I had to like move to another country uh, yeah. to train, I'll just stop. <laughs> I would, hmm. yeah. I do. There's a, there's a lot of other things that I, I really enjoy here in the, in Quebec here at home. Uh, and we a bit talked about that in the, when we opened the, the session together, yeah. but I didn't want to move to Canmore, which is still in Canada, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So for me, I uh, I really appreciate biathlon. I really like it, but it's uh, it's not something that's going to bring me out of uh, out of home uh, more mm -hmm. than it does right now. So I'm already mm -hmm. uh, spending a lot of time away, and if I'd have to change country for that, just it just wouldn't happen. There's a, a lot here that I that I enjoy that I a lot of other doors uh, open so uh, mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yep. Quebec Quebec wins out yeah <laughs> maybe maybe if it, if it would get to that point then maybe uh, just for the nation of Quebec how's that yeah <laughs> <laughs> looking forward uh, to it <laughs> um, can you give us a bit of an insight on so when you're on a World Cup uh wherever it is, Oslo, uh, Germany, wherever World Cup, but what do you do when you're not racing and not training? Like, how do you pass the time, um, you know, when, when, when you don't have to do anything, when you have time to relax or time to, to recover? Or... Yeah, you wait. <laughs> you wait. You're, yeah. You have a six-hour delay with home or eight hours for people in Alberta. Uh, mm -hmm. even more for people in BC and you can't really call home. Uh, you just, I don't know. I know people watch a lot of uh, Netflix and all that. I, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't, I don't have it. I don't want to have it. I know I'm pretty bad already just with, with my phone to like spend time scrolling. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like you, you get to hang out with other people, but in the last two years with COVID, that was not the best thing to do to just hang mm -hmm. out with people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been doing uni, but it only takes that much of your day. And normally, even if I really like the courses I was taking, I'm very good at not doing it. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, like reading books and all that. Um, but I'd say, yeah, the days are still full. Like we only train an hour and a half or two hours a day, but then you have... Mm -hmm. A, a lot of other things to do in the day. So how to say it? Uh, the day is very well organized, so we don't realize we don't do much. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, what, are the, what are the things that they have you, uh, do they have you doing? Well, it's just, you know, like you wake up at 8, hang out, or wake up at 9, hang out for a bit in your room, and then like, I don't know, an hour later you go to breakfast, And you eat for an hour, an hour and a half at the big uh, dinner, uh, the whatever, the, the mm -hmm. dining table mm -hmm. and all that. And so, I don't know. Let's say I wake up at 8. So, that would be pretty early. Normally, normally it would uh, be more like 8.30 or 9. Then I go down to breakfast at 9.30 because it closes at 10 or 10.30. And then 10.30, well, I'm done eating. I go back up to my room. I get changed and all that. And boom, I'm already late for the bus that leaves at 11.05. Okay, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I haven't done anything and I'm already late. And it's almost <laughs> So I get to the site. 
So I get to the side, get to the cabin, and then I put my boots on and then adjust my rifle. And yeah. then we chat with the, the wax tech and boom, it's, um, it's already 12 and I'm 15 minutes late for training. And then, okay, so I start training, do the zeroing, an hour and a half. So it's 1.30 and I'm done. I get back to the wax cabin. We wait for, so we talk a bit with the techs or whoever with the coach. And then we get back, we wait for the bus um, to go back. So let's say, boom, at 2.15, we're back at the hotel. We have to, to eat lunch and we're late for that as well. And then, okay, then nap time. So we've, we've been eating for an hour, then nap time. You wake up at like, I don't know, uh, four, you go for a quick run or you just go down and see what's for dinner. <laughs> and then you mm -hmm. eat like at six, you eat dinner and then you're done dinner. It's already 7.30 and what's left in the day, yeah. right? So yeah. it just goes kind of quickly. You're, there's many steps that if you just take your time, <laughs> you're not going to have to to worry about filling your day. So that's that's how I feel it, uh, at yeah. least. Um, yeah. There's always so many like little little gaps that are just longer than you would make it if you would be busy. If I was busy, right. if I had to yeah. do everything better, I would wake up at 7.30, I would go down to breakfast, be done at 8, and then at 8.15, I'd start my lesson, right? I, I, I'll start yeah. Like, yeah. working for uni, and sometimes I would do that. I would just start reading for two hours and a half straight and then boom, I'm already good to go. Boots on my feet, hop in the car. And then whenever I get to the stadium, I start training and then I'm back like an hour earlier than everyone. And uh, it's just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I I do fit in that lifestyle of <laughs> going very slowly, I think. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you want to fill your day with useful stuff and productive stuff, you can. And if you want not to do that and there's... A lot of room too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, if if you were at a World Cup event or location, and a major snowstorm comes in, it it builds up snow all around that location. So in the location itself, there's no snow at all. You can just do whatever you want. What location would you want to be stuck in? Uh, it's happened in Obertiliac. It was pretty fun. Just a big snowstorm, a meter and a half, and yeah, we were just skiing around. Uh, but for sure, the the best place for that to happen would be at home. I think uh, when I was a kid, when I was a kid was those were just the best days, right? A big snowstorm, and mm -hmm. and you would just go out on the skis in the street and and have fun i do that with my parents i do that with my brother i've <laughs> i've carried my brother to to school on skis before and that was, <laughs> that, was a, that was a lot of fun i think that's uh yeah being around my friends when it happens i mm -hmm. think that would be the best thing uh being at home with my family all that yeah and is there a specific world cup location you wouldn't mind being stuck for a little bit uh yeah well I'd say the ones that are in town. So, uh, Annecy, mm. uh, Grand Bornand. So that mm. one is fun. Uh, Oslo, we weren't really in town, but, um, that could be cool as well. Uh, Yoensu in Finland. I don't mm. know, whatever location we're actually in a town, I'd be, I'd be happy okay. to be stuck there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, in France, in France, that'd be fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, sort of related. Are there any uh, uh, any particular tracks that you 
you like or dislike? Uh, yeah, well, Oberoff, I don't really like that uh, downhill that I find very sketchy. There, uh, that's where I got my concussion too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when the conditions are good, it's good. Uh, then there's also Pokluka. The turns were very rough when we did it. Um, and then Contiolacci, there's that big uphill uh, that you've probably seen watching World Cups. Uh, very rough. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Uh, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I'd, it's hard for me. I haven't been on the World Cup circuit for that long to have like mm-hmm. very deep knowledge or of um, of all the tracks. Uh, yeah, some in France, I really liked it. Uh, Beijing, I'd say, was the the best circuit for me. It was all flat. Okay. That was good. <laughs> it wasn't totally flat. We still had a lot of a lot of uphill to do, but somehow for me it felt good. Felt like I could yes, carry yeah. my speed pretty well. Felt like I could push pretty help pretty well, like good good one skate all the way, and so that felt very good. Uh, the last downhill to the range was rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it was fast. It wasn't rough, but it was fast. Uh, yeah. But yeah. I don't. I don't like when it goes down too fast. I don't like when it turns too tight, and uh, I don't like when it goes up too too much. So, yeah, <laughs> a flat course for me is the best. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we we've talked a lot about the uh, the sort of uniqueness of the biathlon family in the IBU. Is that? Do you feel the same way? Is that is that quite unique and and uh, special to be part of? Or couldn't compare to another sport. Haven't right. been uh, around any other international level sport. A, a bit in running, but it's not not at that mm-hmm. level. Uh, it's very fun. I'd say the Batlon family is actually a thing. Uh, it could be between the teams. It could be uh, with the fans. It could be from one athlete to the other. But just how how we. I think it's the consciousness of we need each other to race, right? If there would mm-hmm. be only one team, there would be no racing. It would be one team winning mm-hmm. and that would be it. I need the other racers to to race, right? Yeah. Just like a hockey player needs other players to play against. Um, so I think that's something that people are very conscious of, that we we need each other to have fun. We need each other also to put on a good show. And then the spectators, they need all the racers to have a good show. And they know... I feel like they respect, they respect the athlete in the way that we're there, we're giving it all, uh, we're pushing and trying to to shoot. Even if it's windy, uh, we we still go out. If in, even if it's rainy, we go out and we race, and they go out and they watch. And there's that big, very fun vibe that's that's happening on World Cup events. We haven't had that for two years as much. We had it in France and we had it in um, in uh, Estonia. It was mm-hmm. very, very pleasant to just feel how everyone is just happy to have that event happen. Uh, so that, I would say, is more the Biathlon family with the Biathlon community. But okay. there's also within the World Cup, from one team to the other, how people are helping each other. Uh, like you, you're going to see the, the ski company uh, people on the ferry just eating at the same table because... Because they're part of the same thing. They're, mm-hmm. in the end, yeah, working for different companies, but in the end, all working for Bathlon and, and their colleague in that way. 
And same thing with uh, like our teams. If we, I don't know, we need something from uh, to be carried from one World Cup to the other, or we we forgot something, like we share with other teams, with Team USA, Team Bulgaria, Team France, whatever. Like the technicians, they talk with technicians from other countries. They don't talk about their secret recipes for wax and all that, right? right? <laughs> There's some some things that they don't talk about. But outside of that, whenever someone needs help, whenever someone needs to Like it's it's happened before that um, a team would test skis for another team without having any like formal contract for doing it. Just like boom, there. Especially with like with COVID, it's happened that um, some team are missing a tech and and they just need some some equipment to get there or some testing to be done. And it it does happen. And then also mixing teams at uh, at dinner when we eat is just or at the family club so there's that thing that's called a family club it's the big uh, cafeteria for everyone we haven't had it since covid but mm -hmm. we had that before and it's just where everyone athletes technicians coaches uh whoever we're just eating in the same cafeteria and there's no table assigned for our countries we just share all that and i think we do all feel and recognize that we are So that's what I was saying to the, the schools I went to to talk about my sport and my job in a certain way. We're all just a big circus uh, running around Europe to to show what we're doing, to to put on a show. And we need yeah. each other and we're just we're in it together. We're having the same life, being on the road for four months a year. And we we are working colleagues. We are just together in the same thing. So that's that's what the Botland family is. I think it's a uh, very pleasant, very respectful no no big tension yeah there's rivality but it's only on the tracks it's only really when we're racing and people are very good at making that switch of like hmm. we're racing it's fun we're but we need each other to do it and then outside of that we're we're work colleagues right we're on the same side yeah. we just want biathlon mm -hmm. to be good we just want biathlon to be a good show and we just want to have fun in it well you sort of mentioned something there um you mentioned about uh, being able to have the big cafeteria so Uh, one of the questions we always ask people is who uh, is the most fun to sit down for a meal with or grab a beer with? You know, if you could sit down with anybody, who would it be? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd say I, I really enjoy spending time with uh, Felix, our wax tech. So he's been my friend for, for a long time. We've been racing together on the, uh, on the Quebec Cup circuit. And he's been able to be hired as a wax technician uh, a year and a half ago. So the year before the Olympics, and uh, we sadly haven't been able to hang out during COVID. Even if he was a tech for our team, hmm. uh, we had to split the bubbles. But uh, whenever we've been able to, so at the Olympic Games, at some point we were in the same bubble, and that was fun. Uh, so we mm -hmm. really had fun yeah. being those two guys from the from the same home club, just being able to hang out at the the highest level of uh, amateur sport possible uh, that was uh so him as a tech me as an athlete different roles but that was that was a good time yeah nice um if uh you could create one more special bib for the world cup races what color would you make it and what would it represent i don't know they have a lot right <laughs> they have a lot of bibs uh what could it be I don't know. They have uh, the youth bib. I know there's a thing that the old bib, the Susan Dunkley's been. I don't know if you had the Susan Dunkley at your podcast yet, 
but no. uh, she's made the silver bib and it's yeah. i think it, she came up with that right after they came up with the u25 bib and i think it's really interesting it's the 33 years old and plus uh, bib and they still do something the ibu still does something to recognize that but they don't make it official but mm -hmm. i think it's very important to recognize how some athletes have been there for a long time some athletes are being able to to perform over 33 years old over like like some athletes stay in shape a lot and it's very impressive to see a 21 year old to win a, a world cup but what about yeah. a 35 year old winning a world cup right mm -hmm. we forget about that sometimes that people stay in shape people are in shape even if they're older uh i think we have to recognize that and that would be interesting to get that that silver bib from uh, from susan it's I really like when she uh, she posts about it. I'm like, okay, well, those people have been around for a long time and they are still very good. Like you yeah. can do it for a long time. If if you have the, the money, if you if you are still mm -hmm. funded, if you're still good enough, I mean you've been yeah. you've been developed by your nation, by your team, by whoever, why not continue, right? You're you're just so good at what you do. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I I think that that would be it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, so uh, we, we sort of asked this question a little bit earlier, but I'm, I'm going to ask it a slightly different way. Um, if you're if for just one day or just one race, you could switch to a different team or I even just switch bodies with somebody, um, you know, uh, who would it be or what what team would you join for that for that race or that weekend? Um, I don't know. I would I would really like to uh, to see how it feels to be the fastest on the skis, just mm -hmm. to have that feeling. Just whatever, like Quentin, he's uh, he's pushing yeah. very hard. Or any any guy on the French team, they're very fast. I've been chatting with them every once in a while. Like we we get along pretty well, but just to to have a bit of moment to just feel how it is. Do they act, like how hard? How to say that? Uh, do, do they really work harder than me on the race day, or is it mm -hmm. just easier for them? Right? Like, what's the what's yeah. the? Because I don't think I could go any faster on my race day, and they probably also can't go any faster. But how <laughs> how does it feel to go that fast for that long? Right? What's the yeah. what's the difference? Uh, or maybe they're just maybe we have the same potential in a certain way, but they've been able to unlock something that I haven't been able to unlock. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that would be it just to be in the, in the winners, uh, in the winners feeling for, for a bit, just to, to know how it is that, or just, just be in Christian or Emma's head uh, when they shoot at some point, just, yeah. Yeah, like we've been doing a mental training program. Uh, we were together on it. Like it's a it's a thing with the national team. So I was on it three years ago. Didn't really fit me because uh, whatever whatever reason. So but I know they work very hard on that, and uh, so I work very hard in a different way on the mental practice. But yeah, just to be in their in their mind for for a moment for a for a shooting bout whenever they hit like 19 or 20 in an individual, uh, that would be, yeah, <laughs> I think that would be something, uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you alluded a little bit to a good relationship with the French team and, and some other teams that you guys uh, work with, but is there, 
Do you connect specifically with other teams like smaller nations or I think the, the U.S. team is obvious because you're, you're kind of going through the same grueling traveling and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Is there any other nations you, you just get along with well or? Uh, no, I'd say like, yeah, the Americans for sure. Like we've been on the same circuit for a long time on the NORAM Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, well, Jake, uh, Jake Brown, we've been following the, a very similar path until well, he kind of took off uh, last year. He's been like doing top 30s uh, very regularly. I, I wish I could do that too. Uh, he has way more consistency. But uh, yeah, I think the Americans for the language, for sure. Like they also mm-hmm. are a very good English speaker, but like better than me. <laughs> but for other uh, other Canadians, it's, it's just natural for them to uh to speak with other people that have english as a first language and then for me i'd say it's also the, a language thing that i just hang mm-hmm. out with a french team and belgian team because they, yeah. they speak the same language as me so i'd say that's the main factor um and that's yeah like we just kind of stick with that i'd say uh, but everyone that's- is uh, everyone is, is fun to hang out with but it's it's easier especially when you're away from home to be able to speak with someone that speaks your language. Yeah. Is uh, Lotte Lee, is, is she uh, French speaking as well? Because I know uh, she's originally no. from Norway, I think, right? Yeah, but uh, she's Flemish. Okay. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. So she speaks Flemish. Uh, so I've been practicing a bit <laughs> with her nice. every once in a while. That's cool. Uh, there's also Thierry. He's a uh, he's German, German speaker, but he speaks mm-hmm. uh, French pretty well. Uh, we're working together also on the sustainability ambassador program with uh, Thierry. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he speaks French uh, pretty well. But yeah, I'd say the, the language is the main thing that's going to connect us all together in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are there any teams or any uh, any squads that are known particularly as the, the party animals? Uh, I wouldn't be the one to ask that. <laughs> really? Oh, I would. I thought you might have, might have known. Yeah, no, uh, no. Uh, I'd say the biggest party crew would be the Wax Tech in general. No, <laughs> that's what they do. Yeah. They, they're all. I don't want to generalize or say stuff bad about them, right? But sometimes they define themselves that way. They're just yeah. athletes that didn't make it, but found a way to get there. And they, yeah. they are still living the life, right? They're still living the dream life of uh, hotels and skiing on the World Cup side. And and they still get the vibe of the World Cup, all the, the fun. Mm-hmm. And they still have to perform in a certain way. They still have mm-hmm. to ski like up to 40 or 50K a day to to find out which which pair of ski goes the, the fastest. But then they mm-hmm. don't have to be on the top. And they're together with a bunch of other people that are also are in the same same situation where they all kind of always wanted to be on the world cup they aren't as athletes but they still are there and then they they, they just can't party because they just have to be able to get up in the, the day after they don't have to be on the top of <laughs> yeah. their shape so yeah. they they have a lot of work to do uh they work like up to 10 or 12 hours a day and then when it's over they're Sometimes it just they just start to <laughs> hang out. I'd say the biggest people to party would be the wax tech because uh, <laughs> they can, but maybe also because they need it. They work so hard. I think they do have to 
to let the pressure go down. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also a lot of techs are going from one team to the other. Uh, there's no there's no rule for that like there is for athletes, right? You don't have to be Canadian to wax for the Canadian team or you don't have to be uh, Czech to wax for mm-hmm. a Czech team. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of movement there and it creates, I'd say, a big family of technicians. But you'd have to talk with a technician to, to know more <laughs> about that. But uh, yeah, if you want to party, those are the people to go with. <laughs> Wasn't wasn't Matthias saying that's where he went for the uh, for the fondue? He went to was yes. it the uh, like the French wax sex? They're having the the fondue parties in the back of the truck. <laughs> well, the the French the the French the techs they do have a, a big waxing truck and they have more than wax in there. <laughs> they have a they have a lot oh. of things. The Swedish they have like fireworks and all that too. Oh no! Oh, man. Every every time they have a medal, the Swedish techs are gonna they're gonna fire some fireworks from their trucks. Uh, so it's uh yeah those are the party people yeah yeah well keep that in mind yeah um maybe you know, it could be very i don't know if you've been uh, talking with uh with a wax tech for your podcast but those could be very fun people to talk with because they see the world cup a very different way we do mm. uh they are really behind the scenes they get to the, they do the drive like we're always flying but they do the mm-hmm. drive with all the equipment. Uh, they get to the site earlier in the morning. They leave later. They have uh, way more stories to tell too about like what changed with the snow, about yeah. any analytics, or uh, we're going to talk about the fluoro band at some point. And uh, it's, they're the people yeah. to talk about with. Uh, and if you want to have any inside of uh, yeah the behind the scenes or the whenever they have to rush to change a decision on the wax and. Or whenever the the season is over and they finally can can relax and let themselves go. So yeah, I think those <laughs> those are people really that you can uh, have a lot of fun talking with. Yeah, okay. they have a lot of stories. We'll to, yeah, yeah, we'll have to add them to the list. You're and, and you said a word there that uh, I'm going to use as a little bridge to uh, to jump to the analytics questions because mm-hmm. um, we don't want to take too much of your time there. Um, how do you feel about analytics? Is it something that you're interested in and use a lot? Or is it uh, something that, you know, it's there, but you don't care too much about? Or like, what's your, your feel about using data to to analyze your performance and, and look for improvements, et cetera? Yeah, uh, data is very important, I'd say, for shooting. Um, a guy that was very good with data was uh, Aiden Miller. I don't know if you, you've seen him on, on results list or whatever. Uh, we've been uh, growing to a, together a lot in biathlon on the national stage and international as well. Um, <clears throat> he would be very good at analyzing that. And I think he's the one that kind of made me understand how, how it can be useful. Um, a lot of people on the team also look at it a lot. You've been talking with Scott Gao. He's uh, he's very good. But yeah, with Aiden, we spend a bit of time and just looking at the shooting time, I'd say like the first, there's a lot of data coming on the data center with the Battle World. The first shot, the time to the second shot, to the third shot, number of hits. And then uh, the Scott at some point showed us the, the work you've been able to do with the, like how many first hit we've got or how, how many last hit we've missed um we yeah i think it's very interesting to see the trend and to see where you should work to to improve uh so like could it be the range entry or it could be if if you look at the skiing too there's something interesting like i was 
I'm slowing down quite a bit on my races, but when I have a good race, it's when I'm able to have all my three laps the same speed. Um, mm -hmm. So analytics is uh, very important when you want to reach that that very highest performance you could get. Uh, mm -hmm. That's that's where you can analyze if you need uh, like where you need to improve. I think it allows you to be more accurate in the adjustments you do in your training. Or the adjustments you do in your preparation or even in your, in your racing so it is uh, it is very useful and biathlon has so much data to look at uh, yeah yeah cross-country skiing it's fine you're gonna have splits um but biathlon you have all those shots everything is televised everything is uh is is um also uh, time everything is timed uh, mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. like all the all the shooting. There's also now I think it's been two years now since they have also on the on the shooting analysis they also have the wind for every shot you make, and mm. you can see oh first shot was dead wind and then second shot was two meters per second from the left and then third shot was dead wind again and so it does explain wh why you missed in a certain way. Mm -hmm. uh, all that is uh, I don't use it that much, but every race. I'll go back and I'll watch out my shooting time uh, and compare it to to the other people. I'd say that's the the easiest thing to do in the analytics, but uh, there's so much more that can be done. And sometimes we get in it. Uh, we have to be careful not to get lost in it, not to turn yeah, everything yeah. into number. You have to remember there's a feeling, there's mm -hmm. a limitations that you have. Uh, it could come from your training. It could come from just your ability. You have to remember that you're not just a number, but those numbers yeah. are there and very helpful to, uh, to to be better. And do you do you typically go to the biathlonresults.com page or do you do you get does team canada get a a, a dump of data every race as well or I just I just go on the the biathlon world website the data okay. center. Is that is that the biathlon result thing? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where okay. I go and I just click on the race analysis uh and then like mm -hmm. you get your position and then you get your ranked for everything. So you can be right. You can be like the fifth fastest shooter and mm -hmm. you, you see it right away. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's fun for that. It's very, very easy to access to. I think that's very, that's something Bathlon does very well. We mm -hmm. were talking about the Bathlon family. Well, they, they do that, uh, pretty well to just make it open for anyone that would like to, um, to watch it, that would like to to see all the analysis. Uh, the data is very accessible. It's not it's not just for the team. Uh, so yeah, that's that's fun. Yeah. You mentioned one thing in particular that uh, your best races are when you're you know you're keeping your speed up in later laps. So how do you take that and then uh, reapply it to your training or to future races? Um, I think. It's, uh, yeah, you have to practice that in training races. You have to practice mm -hmm. it on, uh, like, let's say uh, yesterday we had intervals. I have to make sure I start really in zone three and I finish in zone four. And then I can apply it. So Friday we have a race, a practice race, and then I have to make sure I'm able to start slowly. But you don't, you also, you don't want to start slow. You don't want to lose any time in the first lap. So that's, it's really practice. It's really feeling how, how you can feel and push and i think what's been hard for me in the last years is uh my head my shape wasn't necessarily good so i was starting mm -hmm. with feelings that used to be good because i've been racing a lot uh both uh, running and skiing 
before I got injured or sick or whatever. And um, yeah, just to, you have to know your body very well and you have to adapt to how you feel on that day. So if you, if you go on with feelings that you had two years before, well, those are not the same feelings today. So you have to adapt to that. And for that, you have to always stay up to date. You have to always reflect on the race you just did to, to make sure that your feelings were, were accurate. Uh, so yeah, I'd say you, you finish a race and you look at the times and you first have to think, Oh, what, what I, what was I feeling? And then you look at it and you're like, okay, well, my feeling was right or my feeling wasn't. And then, well, I'll have to either get something deeper in my mind to push on the last lap, or maybe I'll have to, um, to just start slower and, and keep energy for the end. No, I appreciate that. Uh, cause it's, it's a hard thing to do, right? Cause it's, uh, like you said, so much of it is that mental battle of having to sort of reset where you are, uh, you know, yeah. where you are mentally. And, and I think you said something really, really important there is that, you know, you have to know that, you know, how you're feeling now, um, is different than how you were two years ago. So you gotta, you know, be able to, to understand that you mentioned like going zone three, zone four, you know, mm -hmm. that, that feeling is going to be different for you, you know, when, when yeah. your, when your shape is different, right? Yeah. And also it can change from day to day, or it can change with mm -hmm. the snow quality or the skis you get. So it did happen not often. It happened, I think, only twice in my World Cup career that I had bad skis. I could feel it. You see it with the people mm -hmm. around you. You have to deal with it. You you can't. You have to deal with it. So you have to adapt your your shape to. It. If you try to to hit a certain speed with it or to keep up with some people that you normally keep up with, but you have bad skis, mm -hmm. well, that's a bad decision because you're going to be too tired in the last loop. Um, yep. Also, if I don't know if you if it's the third race in a row in three days and and you're just tired and you have to accept it you have to to mm -hmm. you, you have to know yourself well enough to see well should I push through it or should I just yeah. kind of go with people go with the flow and also when you start let's say a pursuit and the person ahead of you just or behind you they just pass you and they try to catch so many people on the first lap is that the right the right move hmm. maybe not but then it might be a, a good move to just hang with them because it's going to be easier to follow a pack and so those yeah, are yeah. all decisions that you have to make and you have to to adapt every time uh, every second in the race to to make the, the right decisions hmm. yeah i think that tactically uh and we could talk about this for the next three or four hours but there's so many decisions you have to make right in any individual race and especially like you said you know with the with the sprint or an individual you can kind of have your own plan and just and just run your own race but um yeah i think that you'd have to uh uh you know make make so many decisions do i go like you said do i go do i hold back do i um you know when when do i you know you know go as hard as I can. You know, mm -hmm. it, like I said, we could talk about that for hours and I, and yeah. I, and, and, and yeah, still something good with analytics with that is you can look at yourself, but you have the data from everyone too. So you can look at, let's say the, the shooting time or the skiing time. Um, if you see like, let's say that person that passes you on the start of a pursuit and then they, they do a, a crazy first lap and you can look at their time and you, and then you see that they, they did slow down a lot or it did work for them, right? So you can also see, well, does it work or does it, does it mm -hmm. or maybe it doesn't work? And then same thing with the shooting time. You can go look at 
some someone that's always shooting 18 seconds standing and then you see all well, they they miss three every second shot right every <laughs> second race they just yeah. miss three standing so it might just not be a good move they might be the fastest shooter but maybe that's not my goal so yeah. so yeah analytics can be can be very fun for that and you have to adapt your decisions absolutely yeah. Hey, we've been uh, almost taking two hours of your time, so uh, I think uh, it, it's fair to uh, to start finishing up here. Um, I just uh, wanted to see um, if there's anything you would like to mention, like if you want to promote a website or if you want to say hi to yeah. anybody or whatever you want to say. It's, uh, this is your – I mean, it was uh, focused on you already, but this is your spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Well – First, uh, thanks for the time uh, you're recording to Biathlon. Thanks for doing it. It's uh, it's sometimes I just talk about like some people ask me like why sport. So I've, I'm coming from more uh, a music uh, uh, music vibe people, and they're like why sport. Like I say, well, it's just a cultural thing. It's a cultural fact. We have many people getting together, and and then when there's podcasts like that of people uh, talking about about biathlon is just it's just another step it's just another brick in that sport culture that we all live mm. we all enjoy uh, and which is wider than just hockey and we're in the in canada and and you're in florida uh, jordan and <laughs> it's fun to to see that even in the hockey baseball basketball land we have some people spending time uh talking about biathlon so that's fun um and yeah more on the personal side we're gonna have with the ibu uh slowly but surely something is gonna happen with the ibu ambassador program on the sustainability side uh we've had meetings some people were asking me about it like okay well is that just is that just a, a media thing are they just showing up that they're doing something but actually they don't do anything well something is gonna happen is going to come up at some point. We've been working on it uh, in the last weeks a bit. So we're going to show something. It's a, it's a work to be done. I think it's the same in any institution. Uh, there's a climate change, but also uh, many other things linked with sustainability. And uh, uh, everyone has to reflect uh, on them to do a little introspection. And mm -hmm. um, it's slowly happening, but it's going to happen. And uh, and keep asking. The more the more people ask for for things to happen, the more we will have to do mm -hmm. to uh, to answer the, those uh, those questions. That's so uh, so yeah, it's it's going to happen at some point. And uh, looking forward for uh, another season uh, this winter. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Yeah. No, thank you. And and uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you and stay up to date? Instagram, Facebook. I don't post a lot. Uh, I should post more, <laughs> but it's it always takes time, and I'm I never yeah. really have good pictures of myself. So, yeah. <laughs> but I post news every once in a while. I'm right. saying go go check out the uh, the uh, the aerials uh, yeah. videos. <laughs> yeah, those are in stories, so they probably don't exist anymore. Oh, they're probably they're probably gone. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. I'll post something about it. Yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, thank you so much, Jules. I really yeah. appreciate your thank time. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, we really um, appreciate it. Thanks we'll to you be, too. Uh, we'll be posting this uh, soon. And uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can always reach out to the podcast on penaltyloopodcast at gmail.com. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.